located somewhere else. I uh, uh, hope and pray that uh, the Lord has blessed you this past week and that he will bless us uh, both today and in the in the coming coming week. And I hope you'll be in prayer for me this morning as we uh, uh, try to gather together and uh, preach preach God's word. So uh, again, be in, uh, be in prayer for us this morning. I want to turn over, if we can, to a portion of scripture uh, that we find in the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Uh, I think this will go well with some things that we've been uh, hearing lately, uh, and maybe that uh, has been preached on here in, uh, in recent weeks. And uh, as Brother Adam's been going through the book of Ephesians, and so I trust that some of these things will gather, will will gather in with that, especially as we go back over and look at some other things in the book of Romans. We trust this morning, here in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul makes the uh, the plea, and I think uh, especially important as we look at this, he about who he's talking to, and he says, "If ye be risen." If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. So he's particularly talking about those that have been born of the Spirit of God, those that are risen with Christ. And he says, if ye then be risen with Christ. If, if you know that you've been born of the Spirit of God, that Christ has redeemed you, that you've been, uh, that you're going to live with Him one of these days in heaven. He says, then don't set your affections on things on the earth. Set your affections on things in in heaven. And uh, and I don't think he's sitting here uh, by saying that. Uh, he's talking about well, constantly be thinking about the angels singing and about being before the throne of God. I think it's kind of an attitude that we live our life here in this world that we're living in, and that is that this world is really not our home, and uh, that this is not where we're going to be forever and ever and ever, uh, and that uh, all the troubles, the trials, the pains, uh, the political unrest, the riots in the street. <laughs> whatever else you want to try to think of this morning that might be termed tribulation or trials or problems, then uh, he tells us that if you're risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Seek spiritual things. Seek godly things. Uh, and uh, those things where Christ sits on the right, sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. <clears throat> Did you know that? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So as we look at this this morning, I want, I want us to just pause and, and, and think about what this portion of Scripture is saying here. It's, you're dead. You know, I think about, and the, the, you know, I always think of weird stuff, I guess, anyway. Uh, but I think, and I think I've got this right. If I've missed it, well, some of y'all can correct me later. Uh, not that it's super duper important, but, but I, I remember, uh, watching a movie and it may have been Patton, uh, you know, where he's standing up in front of the folks, you know, and he's like, quit thinking about going home. Quit worrying about, uh, you know, getting married and getting together with your girlfriend. Consider yourselves already dead. Uh, and, and the reason for that was so they could do what they needed to do in going forth and fighting the battles and, go, and, and uh, trying to fight against the enemy. And I think, that, you know, really in a sense, you think about where we are today, you're dead. Your body is gone, uh, whether, whether it's swallowed up when Christ comes back in the clouds uh, and then, you know, with the trumpet sound and all of a sudden your body's changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to a glorified body, or whether you live a long, long life uh, and eventually, you know, you die of old age or you die of many of the maladies that we are afflicted with here in this world, uh, whether it be, you know, diabetes or cancer or heart attacks or other things, you're dead. We've, we've had a death sentence on us since the time that, uh, that Adam, uh, you know, transgressed the law and disobeyed the law of God in the garden Mankind has had a death sentence set upon them the entire time. And so uh, he Paul tells us here, if you're risen with Christ and you know you're risen with Christ, then don't be seeking those things that are here. Don't let this drive everything you do. And, and by that, I don't, I'm not trying to stand here and tell you this morning, you know, the Bible, you know, you, the wonderful thing about the Bible when you study the Bible is you need to look at it and say, 
what does it say? Don't just focus on one, get tunnel vision about what it says in one verse, one place, one book, or anything else. Probably one of the magical things, you know, that you have to learn to do over time is to take what all the Bible says about so many different things. Because, you know, the Bible, while it says, so, so I want to focus here on this for a second. It says, don't set your affections on things on the earth. Okay. Uh, but also the Bible says, the man that won't work shouldn't eat. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you've got a balance set. You're not setting your affections on things on the earth. But at the same time, if you're not willing to work, then you shouldn't eat. And a man that won't provide for his own, the Bible says, is worse than an infidel. So you've got to balance some of these things up that while you're not setting your affections on things on the earth, it doesn't mean you're not to have a job to work, provide for your family, do all those types of things. But don't let the world drive everything that you're thinking about. Keep, keep the ultimate goal in mind or the ultimate thing in mind, and that is the fact you're dead. <laughs> this world is not your home. You're dead, and your life, the real life that you have, the life that Christ died for and gave himself for on the cross, uh, and your life is hid with Christ in God. It, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him, in glory, so uh, you're dead, <laughs> and your but your life and your life is hid with Christ in God, and so uh, I, I think part of the, what I want to focus on this morning is for us to think about what's our real life, and and are we are we focused on that and uh, and and paying attention to that while we're living here, and also then to go over and take a look, how did we get here? Uh, you know, you're dead. <laughs> How did we how did we get into this situation? Well, ultimately we know when Bordy mentioned you go back to the book of Genesis, you go back to the garden, you go back to the third chapter of the book of Genesis, and you find over there uh there's there's Satan deceiving Eve in the garden and tempting her with this fruit that God had told Adam they were not to eat of or not to partake of or, and uh, and uh, she was she was deceived by this by this uh, uh, good talking sweet talking guy whatever he be, you know I know they say it's uh, uh, the snake whatever you know uh, was he a, was he a snake in the grass I'll I'll agree with that for sure and so was he deceiving her uh, yes and telling her oh God knows that if you eat of this fruit uh, uh, you'll know you'll know uh, good and evil and be like God. And uh, and uh, so that's the reason he's trying to keep you from this. And uh, you'll know things like he knows then. And so he deceived her. Uh, she partook. She gave to Adam. And the Bible says he transgressed the law. In other words, he did it knowingly uh, is part of what. And that's the reason the man is held responsible for the sin. So uh, if you think about that, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. But what is it? Uh, what is it that, that Christ has done for us? And are we uh, are we doomed in this situation? No, we're, we have a life that's hid with Christ in God. Let's talk a little bit about that life this morning and how uh, we may come back here because he goes on to tell us here in this third chapter uh, of the book of Colossians what we can do and some things that we ought to be paying attention to while we're here. Uh, that we ought to mortify our members which are upon the earth. And he goes on and lists those. Those are the same things that are said, uh, you know, in, in Ephesians. They're the same things that are said in Galatians. Uh, probably if I went and looked this morning, could find the right place. It'd be the same things that are said in the book of Philippians, where Paul is telling us to put off the old man, put on the new man, uh, and follow after the, the things that Christ, who has raised us up from the dead, uh, through the new birth uh, that we might walk uh, walk closer with him. So when we turn over to the book of Romans, and I'm going to just kind of uh, give the uh, off-the-cuff uh, summary of some things that we find in the book of Romans, uh, we find the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Rome, and I was looking at some things this morning, uh, even as I was thinking about the book of Romans, and uh, thinking about the fact that you know, you've got a group of people here that Paul is writing to that he's telling them that he has a desire to preach to them the gospel also. You know, in other words, he has a desire to come and preach the gospel to those that are at Rome. Uh, and, 
and it kind of, you know, is one of those things that maybe is obvious if you stop and think about it a little bit, but uh, while if you're looking at the Ephesian letter, the Colossian letter, and the Philippian letter, and where those churches are located, the Apostle Paul had spent a lot of time with those people, but he's writing to a church at Rome that he's never visited. He's writing to a bunch of people that he desires to go and deliver to them the gospel. Uh, and he's talking to them about one of the problems that they have, same problem uh, that the uh, that our, our brother Adam mentioned when he was going through the book of Galatians. You had a group of people there. You had both Jews and Gentiles together in this church. And there were those from the, uh, of the Jewish persuasion that were trying to persuade those uh, of the Gentile persuasion that not only did they need uh, to follow in faith after Christ Jesus, uh, but they also needed to do some of the things of the law. In particular, there was a, there's a hint in here of talking about circumcision once again because the Apostle Paul addresses that uh, addresses that when we get over to the end of the second chapter of the book of uh, of the book of Romans here, and tells them that uh, you know it's not just uh, uh, as he's talking about that uh, to to those here at Rome. He says, "For he is not a Jew." Verse twenty eight, the uh, second chapter of the book of Romans. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that uh, circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Uh, why, would, why would he go to the, pro, to the point of t telling this to these folks here? Uh, uh, first of all, I think he's, he's making the point to them, and he has made the point to them, beginning with the uh, first latter part of the first chapter and into the second chapter of the book of Romans, uh, that... God has always had a people among both the Jew and the Gentile and that the, the Jews did those things of the law which God had taught, taught they had given to them when, when he gave uh, the written law to Moses on the mountain and so forth and they had followed after the things of the law and they knew the law of God, uh, had been given the law of God but there was a group of Gentiles that he's, that he's telling us about here beginning in uh, Romans chapter 2 that had also done the things of God, but they had done them not because they had a written law, but because they had the law of God written in their hearts. And so he, he then kind of turns the whole, whole tale, if you will, and says, the real Jew, the, the chosen people of God, the real chosen people of God are not those that were, are outwardly, uh, uh, have outward circumcision in the flesh, but those which have been circumcised in the heart. Uh, I love when I think about uh, uh, the circumcision that takes place in the heart because this, this is a description to us of the same thing that Ezekiel tells us over the Old Testament when he says that there will be a day when God will take the old hard and stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh and a heart of feeling. And uh, so he's describing to us here this process that has taken place uh, where God uh, takes the, takes the, uh, the heart circumcises it, if you will, cuts away the old flesh of the, the, uh, the fleshly nature and gives it a heart of feeling, a heart of desire. Uh, and that today we would call that the new birth. <laughs> uh, that's exactly a, kind of a description, another description of what takes place in the new birth. So he begins to tell us here, uh, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that, which is, uh, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So he kind of redefines what it means to be Jewish. Uh, so if I look at that today, uh, I would have to say, I must, be, I must be a Jew because I feel like God has changed my heart uh, and circumcised me, and so there's promises that are given to me. Uh, so he, he begins then this third chapter. I want to go on into that. He says, what advantage then hath the Jew? What, what advantage do they have? Uh, and what profit is, is there of circumcision? And then he goes on and answers his own question. But he says, if because he's made the whole argument, I'm not going to go through the whole second chapter of the book of Romans for you here this morning, but he's made the discussion uh, that God has a people that, uh, that didn't have the law, but they had the laws of God written on their heart. And so they followed God because of what God had written on their heart and not because of what he had written down on tables of stone. And he says, so then what if, if, if God can reach, I'm, I'm going to use my terminology, if God can reach people without 
uh, having the laws and the Ten Commandments and so forth, and people are obedient to him without having those things, then what advantage is there in being was there in being a Jew? And, and what advantage then, or uh, what profit is there of circumcision? Then he answers his question, verse 2. Much in every way, <laughs> chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. So he begins to tell you, the word of God, the oracles of God are important to us. <laughs> and they're important to me and you today. Uh, that we have the word of God, and that we understand the word of God, and we know about the word of God. That's very important. For what if some uh, did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God Without effect. Now, now we're getting. Now we're addressing something else. What? What if some didn't believe just because uh, uh, of their unbelief? Do they make the faith of God without any effect? Then he answers that question. God forbid. <laughs> Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and that thou mightest and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God. Now he's making another argument, if you will, because there were those that were not only accusing the apostle Paul, uh, or there was discussion there, I guess, about, you know, we're Jewish and we've been circumcised, so we're better off than you are. There were also those that were accusing the apostle Paul uh, somewhere in this area, uh, and I think that's part of what he was addressing, uh, was the fact that there were those that were accusing Paul of preaching that because we're saved by grace, then what we ought to do is just sin, continue in sin to see just how much grace God would pour out on us. And Paul begins to address that beginning here uh, in this third chapter. He says, What advantage then hath the Jew? And goes on down. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? And then in parentheses he says, I speak as a man. Uh, if, if God, uh, if our unrighteousness has been covered by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ, and yet, Christ, yet we know from Scripture that God's going to come take vengeance on the earth one day, is there unrighteousness with God because He's coming and taking vengeance on those on the earth? And He says, God forbid, for how shall God judge the world? Uh, so uh, just because God has saved people by His grace, just because Christ came and died for those that God uh, redeemed and saved, uh, uh, then uh, then it doesn't mean that he's not also righteous in coming and taking vengeance on those that know not God. We could turn over uh, to Second Thessalonians chapter uh, one, I believe it is, where he talks about the days coming when Christ is going to return to this old earth uh, and he's going to come in, uh, in clouds, uh, in the clouds with uh, fiery vengeance on those that know not God uh, and that, uh, that there's going to be that day. We find that same description over there in Second uh, Peter chapter 3 when he talks about the days coming uh, uh, when Christ is going to come uh, and the earth is going to be dissolved and burned up like uh, uh, dissolved and burned up with fire. And so all of these things or descriptions. We could turn over to Revelation. We'd find another description of it over there. Uh, we could turn to the Gospels and we could see uh, about how uh, in the uh, in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, he's talking about the days coming uh, when, uh, when these things will come to pass. And so uh, he begins to answer this question is if our unrighteousness command, if because we're unrighteous, uh, the righteousness of God is poured out upon us because of his death and burial. Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man, he says, because some people would look at it and say, don't you ever, don't you ever hear this terminology maybe sometimes today? Well, that, well, God wouldn't be fair if he did that, did it that way. Uh, well, <clears throat> God's telling you how he's doing it, okay? And what we need to do is get on board with not saying, uh, well, I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. We need to get on board with what God said he was going to do. Uh, and just say, you know what? If God says He's going to do it, then I'm, I'm going to be in agreement with those things. Uh, uh, that that's uh, that God who is righteous and just uh, and cannot lie and so forth. Uh, that if He says He was going to do it that way, that it must be the best way. <clears throat> and He says, God forbid. For then, how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my light unto His glory, why yet am I judged as a sinner? Uh, so Paul says. I'm judged as a sinner, uh, and and yet if the truth of God hath more bounded, in other words, if I've been going around telling this lie, 
and yet somehow or other that's gone to the glory of God, he says, uh, uh, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation, he said, is just. Uh, so uh, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they're all under sin. That was, the, that was the entire point that Paul was trying to get to. We're all sinners. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or you're Gentile. Doesn't matter whether you've had the law or you didn't have the law. We're all sinners under the, under the eyes of God. And so we all need the exact same thing to, uh, to redeem us and to save us and to uh, help us to be able to get out of this situation that we're in. You're dead, and your life is and your life is hid with Christ in God. So we we understand that there's been a death pronouncement upon us because of what Adam did, and he's telling us now just because the Jews had the oracles of God and they were blessed, it was a blessing for them to know God. I I can't imagine, and maybe sometimes I know we try to imagine this in some sense, even as we preach here on Sunday mornings or whatever and talk to you about it and try to get you to imagine and see the same things. We, we try to imagine, what would it have been like to have been Abraham and have God come and actually speak to you and talk to you and tell you, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I want you to get up out of this land of, uh, of, of idols and idol worship here in the Chaldean country and Ur of Chaldees. And I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And I want you to know that when that, that land that I'm going to t take you to, that it's going to be yours. It's going to be yours and it's going to be your family's uh, uh, down through the ages. Uh, and you think, man, boy, that would have been great to think about seeing that. Seeing that. Then, then we think about what would it have been like to have been Jacob and to have uh, been running from your brother Esau uh, and then lay your head down on a rock one night and all of a sudden you see angels ascending and descending a ladder going up into the heavens and all of a sudden God comes to you and speaks and tells you, you're going to also uh, inherit this land that I've given uh, given unto your father Abraham and to your father Isaac. I'm going to give it to you also. You're going to be blessed, Jacob. And you say, wow, that must have been something. And then you think about going, going with the children of Israel down into Egypt and being down there 400 years. And no record uh, after the time of Joseph, no record for 400 years of God revealing himself or speaking to anyone. Uh, down there in that land. And now suddenly God appears to Moses. He says, yep, time to come out. Uh, and God appears to Moses, talks to him, sends him back to talk to the Pharaoh. Now we begin to see things happening. We see uh, amazing things happening. And we see uh, the plagues that were brought out on Egypt and the plagues that were brought out on the Pharaoh and their people. Uh, we see uh, uh, the uh, children of Israel being delivered uh, as God uh, poured His wrath out on the firstborn of the land of Egypt. Yet God's children being spared because of the blood uh, that He had told them to take from the lamb and put on their doorpost uh, and, uh, and the food that they had prepared that night and how they came out of Egypt and how God parted the Red Sea and they want I'm, I'm telling I'm saying all this things I know you've heard over and over again but just to say what advantage did the Jew have huh what advantage did that much in every way they had actually seen God they had seen his work they had heard his story they had heard their fathers talk about what great things God had done they had probably no doubt uh, if you think about how the time from Noah to, to Abraham they had heard Noah talk about uh, uh, the things that uh, uh, that God had told him how he told him to build the ark and how the ark had been built and uh, uh, as I mentioned here on uh, Wednesday night how how God had not only led him to do that, uh, but how God brought all the animals in and God closed the door up and sealed it up uh, before the rains came. All of these stories had been given to the children of Israel and passed down through the ages. So they had they had a lot of advantage. But then, but God comes back and, and, and leading the Apostle Paul here in this story, he comes back again and says, What then? Are we better than they? Are we who are the Jews, are we better than they? That's verse 9 of third chapter of the book of Romans. No in no wise, for we have proved before both Jews and Gentiles that we are all under sin. 
As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We're all sinners, <laughs> and we're all we're all standing in need of a savior. Uh, uh, if we're going to be in God's presence one of these days, if we're going to be with Him in glory, and if this world, uh, if you're dead but you have a life that's hid with Christ in God, and we're going to be able to enjoy that life one of these days. Uh, uh, he's first of all telling us while we're here, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Kill, kill the things of the flesh as much as you can. Put them down. Put them away. Uh, and and live a life of, of of looking to the things that are seated on the right hand of God and on the throne of God as much as you can. Uh, my goodness, uh, uh, aren't we all failures in that sense? Uh, every day almost that we don't really truly mortify the deeds of the flesh, that we don't really uh, put away the things that we should. But that's the ongoing uh, that's the ongoing charge, right? Uh, if we think about uh, what it what it is to be. Uh, I was hearing somebody talking the other day about uh, about our Constitution. You know, uh, you know, you look you look back at some of the things that were written in the Declaration of Independence, uh, and 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 some of which is repeated later by uh, Abraham Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address. But essentially talking about the fact that all men are created equal, uh, uh, that they're all given by their Maker uh, certain inalienable rights, and so forth. And you look at that and say, "Boy, we didn't do a very good job of that one, did we?" <clears throat> But you know what? It was it was written down and encrusted in words on the paper so that we got an ideal that we need to be trying to live up to. Uh, and because of that, wars were fought. <laughs> things were done. Uh, things were uh, uh, put aside and put away so that we could get more toward that ideal of all men being created equal. Well, if you think about the Bible, the Bible is a book of ideals for you and me. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. The, your members here upon this earth. Uh, uh, why You say, well, I, I, I failed yesterday or I failed last week. Yeah, but I got another week. Lord, grant me another day, another week. I get to get up and try it again. And I get to try to do better uh, in serving our God. But we've all been all been told that there's none, uh, none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, if, if you didn't... You know, if you didn't stop and explain that just a little bit, uh, you'd, you'd have to conclude, well, man, we must be awful. There's nobody does anything good. I know some people that do things that are good. I know people that love their neighbors. I know people that love... Yeah, so what have they done? They've mortified the deeds of the flesh. And they've 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 lived up to those things that were written in their heart just a little bit every now and then. What he's talking about is by our nature. By our nature that we're born with, from our father Adam, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none of us outside of a change that takes place within us of being born of the Spirit of God. There's none of us that doeth good. And he goes on and tells us here, if, you, if you're uh, just living after the nature of your flesh, it goes on and tells us here, just what you'll be. Uh, he says, their throat is an open sepulcher. Uh, their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Uh, their feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their ways. Uh, and the ways of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now that's, that's the description of a natural man absent of the Spirit of God, without, uh, without being taught or anything being written in their heart, without having the oracles of God given to them and them having the ability to understand and follow after that, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So what was the... A lot, a lot of the, the I think that what Paul is trying to address here is the Jews had gotten the idea that the law was what made you good. All you got to do is do the law. Do the law. It'll make you good. It'll make you right before God. He's saying uh, doing the law is good, uh, but that's not the purpose of the law. 
Uh, the law, he says, was given so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's what the law tells you. The law tells you that I'm, I'm a sinner. That's what the law tells you. And he goes on and says this, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of which is of which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. He goes, he tells us here, for the righteous of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, that's by, you need to read that by just what it says. It's by the faith of Jesus Christ, by the faithfulness of Christ to come and do what he did. He says, the righteous of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and unto, and unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. He says when you find a, a person out there that's a believer, you found somebody that's had the righteousness of God bestowed upon them by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, so uh, he, he gives us this whole summary here to tell us that uh, the way that you and I have been born of the Spirit of God is by the work of Christ in our lives uh, and that we're redeemed uh, through Him, that we're justified by His, by His grace and so forth, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation. Um, and that word propitiation simply means He's been made the atonement. He said, well, Brother Charles, now I don't, I don't know any more about the atonement than I know about the propitiation. <laughs> well, that's just simply talking about uh, the uh, the blood sacrifice that was given to atone for your sins uh, and to uh, uh, that was done once a year. The uh, the atoning uh, sacrifice was made once a year by the high priest was given for both himself and for you and, and dear in in the law service. And so he says God has set him talking about Christ to be a propitiation through through faith in His blood and declare right uh, to declare His righteousness. For the remission of sins, remission of the sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So he he begins to to work a number of things out here in all this, and he says to declare, I say this, uh, say at this time, his his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how you can stand justified or declared to be innocent before God. It's going to be because the just one has declared you and justified you before him. That's what's going to make the difference. Uh, because we're all sinners. Uh, we've, all, we've all done uh, uh, evil. We've all done those things that are not good. Uh, and so he says, uh, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile. That's what he's trying to address here is that not one group is not better than the other one. Uh, and and so he then, as because he's made this argument argument here, we'll see as he gets down a little bit further. Then he because there's Jewish folks here at this church. Then he has to address the issue of Abraham. What about you know we they revered Abraham as a man who had followed after God. And so how do you get around that issue, uh, or how do you explain that issue? I guess maybe is the better way to say it. If you're saying Christ is the justifier. Christ is the just one, uh, uh, and he says, uh, where is the boasting then? He said, uh, let's go back and read this kind of this whole thing. He says, for we've all, beginning with verse 23, for we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, uh, and he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in, in his blood and to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It's excluded. Uh, I, I think part of what he's trying to say here in this, all these verses that I just read to you is the fact he's decided now was the time to declare Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's what we keep reading. We go back and read in the New Testament. We read of Jesus going in to various villages and various places and teachings and so forth. And, and, uh, and it says they were going to take him out to the hillside. They were going to cast him off. Uh, or they were going to take him over here and stone him. Uh, but his time had not yet come. 
And so he came for particularly for a time and a place in that Passover that he came to die for mine, your sins, and so forth. So uh, uh, as he's talking about, now was the time. When was the time? Some 490 years after the time uh, uh, that that uh, God had declared to uh, to uh, uh, Daniel uh, that he would come. Those seven... Uh, Seven, uh, uh, 70 weeks that are declared there in the book of Daniel, uh, 70 weeks of years that are declared there, that was the appointed time for him to come. And he says, so now he's come and to declare uh, at this time his righteousness. You, the Jews had thought their righteousness was in the law. And the Gentiles didn't know anything about the need of a righteousness because they didn't have the law. And so he's to come now and he's coming to teach both Jew and Gentile that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And he says, where is the boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? What law can say, I've done this, so look at, look at me. I can brag about it. He says, no, you're, you're bragging, your boasting is excluded. Uh, he says, by what law? Uh, of works? Nay, but I say the law of faith. Uh, faith that comes from Jesus Christ our Lord, that fruit of the Spirit that we're born again, that when we're born again comes into our lives. And he says, therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Uh, so this faith declares him just. So you've got the Gentiles over here. They had faith in God. Uh, and, the, and the Jews had faith in God. But, he, but this group over here had faith without having had the law. So he says, well, they did it without the works of the law. Are we boasting about the works of the law? God forbid, he says. Uh, nay, but by the law of faith, uh, which God works in us. And he goes on and explains here in chapter 4 of the book of Romans why it had to be by faith. Why it had to be by the work of God bringing faith and the faithfulness of Christ. It had to be that way. Uh, that it, and it, didn't, that it couldn't be any other way. Because then, if it had been some other way, it wouldn't have been by the direct work of God, right? So uh, that's what he goes on and explains. So he says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, we then make void the law through faith. Do we then make the law avoid uh, the law through faith, God forbid, we establish the law. So so you're like, okay, now I'm really confused, Brother Charles. You've been saying uh, the law just tells us that we're sinners, uh, uh, but he says uh, uh, faith comes and it establishes the importance of the law, what the law was truly intended for. The law was never intended to bring righteousness. The law was never intended to be. It was simply, as it says, I believe, over in the book of Hebrews, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to teach us that we had the, that we needed a Savior, that we needed someone greater than us, that we needed somebody greater than the local high priest. You needed somebody greater than the local preacher. You needed somebody greater than, than all those that had come before. You needed a Savior. You needed the Son of God. So he says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father hath pertaining to the flesh found? Okay, so now we're going to... Uh, he knew the Jews revered Abraham and what he had done. So he says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So he's, what he's saying here is, you know, doing the works of the law is good. It's, it's a good thing. And, and uh, doing that, he says, you, you know, it's not a bad thing to even say. You could say, look at me at what I've done. But he says, just remember, you can't brag before God because all you're boasting about what you've done gives you no standing with him, okay? It just makes you a better person. It makes you a better servant. It makes you a better child of God to do the law and the works of the law. But, it's, but you're boasting. It, it's not going to get anything before God. So he says, for what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. All right, so he's getting down, he's getting down to the point now. Some of the points here, he says, you know, if it's, if it's by what you do, then God owes it to you. If, if, if having righteousness given unto you uh, is by what you do, he says, it's a debt. 
And he says, uh, uh, but he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That doesn't mean that his belief made him righteous. It means God gave him righteousness because of what his belief and what he did. He believed because God had implanted faith in his heart already. One of the things that sometimes people even pause to forget, and it's kind of good to think about this, and I think maybe he makes the point here uh, in this portion of the scripture. Did Abraham believe God uh, when he had the law? And the answer is not. The law was 400 years after the time of Abraham. Uh, in fact, it was more than 400 years, 400 plus years after the time of Abraham. So it, in a sense, if you want to if you want to allow me to say this, uh, and I think I, it's correct, Abraham was a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile. So, so God appeared to Abraham before the Jewish people were ever a people, uh, and, uh, and, God, and, and Abraham believed God. Why did Abraham believe God? Because Abraham had that same faith that he's been telling about these other Gentiles that had been placed within him by the, by the direct work of God in his life. And Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him and made to his account righteousness. And part of, you know what part of that righteousness was that God accounted to him? Part of that righteousness was, Abraham, you believed me, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. God gave him a great special gift, if you will, by telling him not only was he going to have a child, and not only was this child and, his, and, and the children of this child going to be inheritors of a land, but he goes on further, go back to about uh, uh, Genesis 12, 15, 16, along in there. He tells him, Abraham, in thy seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he wasn't talking about Isaac, although he was in a sense, but the extension of Isaac down through the lineage of David, uh, down through the lineage of Joseph and Mary, uh, to have a little child by the name of Jesus. Through thy seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So he, he, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, the faith is counted for righteousness. Uh, Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness. He didn't have, he didn't have any works to do that we're, that we're aware of before this time. But you know what? Uh, he began to do the works of God after this time, after God had appeared to him and spoken to him. So he says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man to whom God, impute, uh, God imputeth righteousness without works. Uh, I, I think, that you know, in fact, you go on a little bit further, and I'd, I'd have to look to see where the, where the psalm is. I think it may be like Psalm 90-something, I think. But he goes on here and says, uh, it, it compares this as he's talking about Abraham. He goes on and says, Just like, or even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose uh, sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Uh, so there's a man, that's Psalm 32, that's what I was looking for, uh, that, that uh, there's a man that is blessed because God will not impute or charge to their account sin. I remember uh, hearing Elder Harold Hunt a, year, a number of years ago, he said, he said in reading scripture, he said suddenly, you know, and he'd been raised up to believe that it was, it was by his belief and by his confession and by other things that he had done. And that's how he had been trained up as a young man and was actually preaching those things. And one day he came to this scripture in Romans and he says, where it says, blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. And he's like, oh, tell me, I want to know more about this man that God will not impute or charge sin to, right? So he says, cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only? Is this a blessing that only comes? He's talking about David. He's talking about Abraham, uh, who was the, was the first one that was given the sign and the seal of circumcision. He says, is this blessedness come upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision? Talking about now the flesh the, by nature. He says, uh, uh, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in, the cir in circumcision or in uncircumcision? And then he answers his own question, not in circumcision, but in other words, it, this righteousness was given to Abraham and it was counted to him even when he was a Gentile. 
Boy, can you imagine? I can just imagine in my mind, uh, I can imagine these, these Jews reading this. And you talk about having your mind blown. I mean, they've everything's about Abraham, right? Our father Abraham, the, the father of our nation, the father, and they, they think of him as Jewish, right? And now, now suddenly Paul writes to him and says, All of this blessedness and all this grace was given unto Abraham when he was still a Gentile. And they're like, Whoa, wait a minute. I never thought about that. I mean, I can just I can just almost kind of read their read their mind and he received and it says uh, how then it was reckoned. I read that and he says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness. God God marked them to be different. Uh, so that they would uh, they would not only out, be different inwardly, but uh, uh, that they were out, outwardly different. Uh, and he says it was a seal that they received of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. <laughs> he might be the, the, Abraham was the type of all them that believe, both Jew and Gentile. And again, those people are going, wait a minute. We've never heard anything like this, that God had a people among the Gentiles just like he had a people among the Jews. And the thing that made the Jews different was that they had the oracles of God and were blessed because God appeared unto them and showed them his, his law and his grace. We've never heard anything like this. Paul says, yeah, I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, but I wanted you folks to understand, he said, that God, that we're all under sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that uh, just like uh, uh, God appeared to Abraham, he appeared to Abraham when Abraham was still a Gentile and he made of him a great nation. So he says, uh, <clears throat> and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they, though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also, that God's righteousness might be given to them. And he says, And the father of circumcision to them who are not, not of the circumcision only, but, all, but who also walk in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet been uncircumcised. So he's, he's the father, not just of the Jews. He's the father of all them that believe. How? By his faith. Uh, by the faith that God give, gave him in the new birth. Now suddenly he's the father of all those, both Jew and Gentile. And he says, for, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's how the promise was given to him, by, by the faith that God had placed in him. And he says, this is promise I give unto you. And he says, it's not because you're keeping the law. He was trying to make the point to them that uh, it's not because you followed to the jot and to the tittle every law and every sacrifice. It's because of the faith that God, that's, that was the example of Abraham. He was faithful. And, uh, uh, you know, if we go back, in the, I think I could go back here in the same book of Romans to the first chapter where he says, the just shall live by faith. And, uh, and when he quotes that here in Romans, he's quoting from the Old Testament uh, where he says, the just shall live by faith. What is to be the mark of those who have been justified by the blood of Christ? It's our faith. That's what Abraham had, was he had faith, and it was his mark. It was how he showed uh, uh, that he loved the, loved the Lord and followed after him. So he goes on. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world, verse 13 of Romans 5, 4, the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. If it's just by the law, then faith gets kind of canceled out, is what he's saying. And so uh, if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is of none effect. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not effective to both God's people that are sinners in the Gentiles and the Jews if it's all by the law. So he says, uh, faith is made void, and the promise of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Now this... This really comes back to play if you, when you get over into the fifth chapter and he talks about the fact uh, that, uh, that, that sin came into the world because of the transgression of Adam of the law. What law? 
God had just given them one law at that point in time. Thou shalt eat of, thou can eat of all the trees of the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because uh, the day that you eat of that fruit, that tree, you shall surely die. That was the law. Adam transgressed the law. But he goes on and makes a point here in that, in that fifth chapter of the book of Romans, which I, I, I would love to read on down. And I know I'm not going to get there today, right? Uh, so I'll just kind of give you the, the preview of it. But he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even upon those who had not sinned after the similitude of Adam. All right? There's a point to be made to all this, Right? They didn't. They didn't do that. They didn't do. They didn't uh, commit the same sin that Adam sinned. Well, there's several reasons for that. Because after Adam and Eve had sinned, God took them out of the garden, placed them out there with the flaming, uh, with the cherubims and the flaming sword to keep them away from the garden, uh, so that man couldn't enter back into the garden and so forth. So, one, it was impossible for him to get back in. Okay, uh, and secondly, because Adam was a sinner, and y'all have heard me make this point umpteen times over the over the years uh, is the fact that the, the Bible tells us that everything brings forth after his own kind. That's the reason dogs have little puppies and that's the reason cats have little kittens and that's the reason uh, elephants have little elephants and so forth and that's the reason men have, and, and women have little babies uh, like some of these that we see around the congregation here. Uh, and you know what? All of those babies are in the image of their father. And they're sinners. Why? Because their father is a sinner. And so uh, they take on the nature uh, that comes to them uh, uh, by, the, by their father. So he tells us here that even though the people from the, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, man, I don't know whether to do it this way or this way, uh, you know, for whatever line you want to look at from that lineage, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even though none of them uh, broke or, di or broke the law that God had given to Adam. That's what I'm trying to say. They didn't, they didn't sin after the similitude of Adam. Nevertheless, all of them died. Why? Because they were sinners, and God had pronounced uh, uh, death upon sinners uh, uh, that if they you transgress the law of God. So it, it's teaching us here that Adam was our, was our forefather and that Adam was our representative there in the garden of all the human race. And when he sinned, we became sinners, okay? And so he tells us here in this fourth chapter, well, you thought I'd forgot all about it, right? So he says, uh, <clears throat> for if they which be of the law, if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise of none effect. Uh, how do I overcome the, the nature of men? And now you've got people that have the law and people that don't have the law and I've got people that are sinners that, that have the law and people that don't have the law and so forth. And he says, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Now he, he mentions that in, in Romans 5, and you'll, you can go over there and read it. For he says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, to the, end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Why was it by grace? the faithfulness of God and the faith that God gave to us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Why was it that way? So it would be sure to all the seed. If, if it was dependent upon the works of the law, not even all the children did the works of the law to perfection. In fact, I'd say probably none of them did it to perfection. If it was by the hearing of the gospel of God, by hearing the message, if that's how it was, that wouldn't be effective because that wouldn't get to everyone. You've got people that are deaf, people that are blind, people that can't, that never have the, never are exposed to the gospel. How was he going to get it there? He got it there by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that it would be sure to all the seed and so that it might be by grace. Wow. You know, sometimes, see, sometimes I, you know, after 60-something after years and I, I preach through something like that and even I go, wow. You know, right? It's just amazing how God brings it out in His Word. For He says, "For Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Uh, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only that... Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So he comes back around and makes that point again that Abraham was just a Gentile and he's really the father of all of us that are believers. For he says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom 
him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope, this is, a, this is now, now getting on to the story of Abraham a little bit, who against hope, believed in hope. This is talking about how his faith really worked. Uh, to, to you and I today, we might look around and say, you know what, it's hopeless. The world is hopeless. Uh, you know, I, I know I keep hearing the preacher. The preacher gets up and talks all the time, you know, about Christ is coming back again. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, I keep hearing that story, but I'll tell you, I look around here and say, boy, I don't see a lot of evidence of the fact that Christ is in the world or the fact that he's coming back again. You say, yeah, but if you go back and look at, at Abraham in his day, God promised him that he was going to have a child. <clears throat> and Abraham... Time marched on. The promise was made when he was 75, by the way. Uh, I, I, I talked about that some, some time ago, uh, about the fact that the, the call for him to leave Earl of Chaldees was when he was 75. Now, being in my 60s now, I can look around and say, how many of us that are in our 60s uh, or maybe uh, think about being 75 and now suddenly uh, God says, uh, hey, I want you to pack up, I want you to move. <laughs> and you're like, Pack up, move. You got to be kidding. Uh, you just, Lord, you don't know how much stuff I got, you know, piled up around here. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, I, and, and I'm sought in my way. You know, I'm set in my ways. You know, I, I kind of like it around here. That's the, that's the circumstance of the situation that came into play. God told Abraham when he's 75, Abraham, I want you to take up, I want you to go. And not only that, Abraham, I want you to know that you're going to have a child. Uh, and Abraham's like, yeah, okay. Uh, and so he would have been 75. Abraham would have been, I mean, Sarah would have been 65. And now 25 years passed by. Maybe I should say 24 years before he came back and told him again he was going to. Uh, he told him he told him several times in between, but back uh, uh, at, at at the age of 99, he told him he says, "A year from now, Sarah's going to have a child." <laughs> okay, and uh, and uh, so he says it says this, Abraham. Uh, it's written that he had made thee a father of many nations, verse 17 of, of Romans 4, before him whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead, calleth those things that be not as though they were. Think about this. Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. Abraham has no children. He's the one that calls things that be, that, that be not as though they were. He speaks it just like it's going to be, even though you don't see it right now. He speaks one of these days of a world that's going to be changed. He speaks one of these days of Christ coming back in the clouds. He speaks of things that be not as though they were. Why? Because he brings them to pass. And so he says, who against uh, Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Uh, and, uh, and then not only that, he believed in this hope that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet being yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. I'll tell you, faith comes back again and again. How important it is that we believe, have faith in God, trust in God, have hope in God. And he says, and being fully persuaded that he had, uh, that what he had promised, he was able to also perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. I, this is where I used to get confused, and I'm going to bring this to a close. I know it's getting toward the 12 o'clock hour, uh, but, uh, but it, this was the point where I used to get very confused when it says he, he, uh, <clears throat> he was fully, fully persuaded that, that he that had promised he was able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And I thought okay, God gave him some kind of something here, and he did. But he also goes on and explains that it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Belief brings a righteousness into your life, and God imputes righteousness into your life, into your account, uh, and, and strengthens you through your belief, okay? Uh, and he says it. That's the reason it wasn't written for his his uh, for him alone, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses 
and raised again for our justification. So I'm going to stop there, but, I, but I'll stop there by also going back and reading this. If you be risen with Christ, if you be justified, if you be declared righteous by his shed blood, uh, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth for ye are dead. You're dead. We're dead. I'm dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Think about that life. Serve the God of that life more than you serve the God of the flesh and the God of our nature. May God bless you in this coming week uh, and may it all be to his glory. May God bless you is our prayer.